Here's my notes. There we are. Blank. So you're going to have to help with this. Uh, so look, we're looking at John 17, verses 20 and onwards. And uh, so this is the prayer of Jesus. You will remember this. Not everybody was with here when we did this, but uh, um, let, let's just revise what it is. This prayer has got uh, three parts. Anybody like to tell us? It's a fairly natural uh, division. Um, which verses are the first part? One to five. One to five. And Jesus prays. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus prays. One to five. Anybody like to say? Roughly speaking, it's a bit of an oversimplification. What does he pray for in those first five verses? For, sorry? Himself. For himself, yeah. It's, yes, he's praying to the Father. Um, there's, there's a bit more to it than that, but roughly speaking, you say he prays for himself. Now, the next section is verses 6 to 19. And who is he praying for in verses 6 to 19? Disciples, yeah. The disciples. I'm assuming this is coming out on the screen. I'm just happily writing away. Yes, it is, isn't it? Um, all disciples or some, or some particular disciples? The apostles, yes. Now, apostle means sent ones. And it, these people are sent because he says in verse, in verse 18, I send them into the world. We could say a little bit more about the particular situation of these disciples or apostles. What do they have which makes them different to us, or what is their situation that's different to our situation? Thank you. They walked with Jesus. Okay, let's put uh, let's put them walking with Jesus. So there's walking. Um, anything else that they did as regards Jesus that's different to us? They were eyewitnesses. So let's put an eye. Okay, that's an eye looked at from the side. And that's very important. John emphasizes this again and again. We saw it. So there's not just disciples in general or disciples as a, as a representative group, but as a specific group, they saw. Anything else that we could say that was specific to them? They heard directly, so I'll put an ear. Yeah, they heard. They were eyewitnesses and if, if there was such a word ear witnesses and another place it says they touched Jesus so I, I don't know whether there's a word for touch witnesses but we'll put a hand there shall we and th it's very important that we grasp that these people they have much in common with us but they have something which marks them off very, as being very different they were the ones who saw they were the ones who heard. They were the ones who touched Jesus. And our contact with Jesus is via what they tell us. 
Because we don't see Jesus directly, we don't hear him directly, we hear him through what they tell us. And I have been reading about this, and you could almost say, and I'm trying this thought on for size, that John would see himself as the prime example of such a witness. And he's writing this not just as one disciple among many, or one apostle among many, but as a sense as he writes this, he says, let me, sta- let me, let me, let me speak for all, all of us disciples. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I am going to put myself forward as the witness to these things. And in one place at the cross, does he not say, let's see whether he does say this or not, in, <clears throat> in chapter 19, verse 35, he says, he says in 1935, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe. And you could almost say that John sees himself as the, the one, the sort of the witness. But uh, uh, there is this group who in their own way and in their own turn, uh, are indeed witnesses. So that's the, that's the verses 6 to 19. And then verses 20 to the end, 20 to 26, which we're going to look at, who are the people for whom Jesus prays there? Us, thank you. And how does he describe us? How do we know that it is us? Sorry? Yes, Thank you very much. It's verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, that's not for this lot alone, but for all who will believe in me through their message. So these are um, believers in the, the message. It actually says word, word and message, either way you could translate it. But the particular word or message that they're believing is the one that these people spoke, isn't it? It's, it's what these people spoke and these people believe it. So if I put believers in the apostolic word, that would be fair. Are you happy with the apostolic? It just means the word that the apostles spoke. Okay, so that's, that, that lets us know what we're going to look at. So that was the easy bit. Right, let's see if we can get a bit more space on here. Right. Let's do what we can with the, with the next few verses. So Jesus is praying for these people. And I'll do a little, a little picture which I think will help us fit in it. So this is the circle of the people that he's praying for. Okay, so these, the, these is us. These, these people are in this circle here. And I will put another circle for... Does that show? Can you see that? Okay, let's, so that's representing the sun. And then another circle just matching and close by, which is the father. Okay, so we've got something about the father, something about the son, something about us lot... And let's do one other group of people who are over here. And these people are 
what Jesus describes as the world. And when he says the world, he doesn't mean the world of elephants and sharks and volcanoes. He means the world of people. In this, in this case, he means the, the world of people and particularly the world meaning people, humanity, who have not come to God, who don't submit to God, who reject God. That's, the, that's, the, that's what is generally meant by the world in this connection. Now, I think that Jesus says sort of the same thing twice. And let's see if we, we can, um, let's see if you agree with me. So let me read the verses. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, end of number one. Now we try it again. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. End of number two. Now you see what I mean, that it's, it's a lot to get your head round. I find it is anyway. Maybe, you, maybe I'm just being um, obtuse. Let's see if we can and, and pick this out a little bit and tease a little bit out of it. So there's n- number one, which ends, I think, at the end of verse 21. And then I think a similar thing, if not the same thing, said again, ending in verse 23. So let's do the end first. Jesus says something, and he puts a number of so that's in each case. So here's a question. What is the so that or the so that's, which are to do with the world. So there's probably at least two. One to do with number one, and one to do with when he says it again. What are the so that's to do with the world? Right, don't take it too far. Give us which verse that you're on. Verse 23. Okay. Is there a, does it say so that? No, it just says to that. Does it have a let that? Know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So, let's, okay, let's, let's try this one then. So, there's an effect from whatever Jesus prays for to the world. And this effect is that they may know something. Let's just undo that. So that they may know something. And in particular, what, are they, what, uh, what is it that they are meant to know? Thank you. That the Father sent the Son.
That's one thing. And the Father loves them. In what way does the Father love them? Wow. What, a, what an amazing thing. Let's make a little bit of space. So, number one, to know that the Father sent the Son. And then it says, to know that you have, uh, have loved them even as you have loved me. So that the Father loves Christians, if I put that Christians like that, as he loves the Son. Okay, I meant to do an introduction, which was on my piece of paper here, which said, I think we'll find it rather interesting to see what Jesus prays for his churches. Because when we pray for the churches, we've got some ideas what, 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 what God wants. So we might pray, uh, we might pray for them to be um, very numerous. There'll be a lot of people in the church. We might pray for the churches to be very powerful. Lord, make it so that all the politicians take notice of what the church says. But it's very interesting what Jesus prays. You're almost tempted to say, has Jesus missed the point? You know, but it just shows us that, that if anybody's missed the point, it's us. This is what Jesus prays for. He says, I want the church to be the sort of people so that the world will know that the Father sent the Son. And that the world will know that these people are loved. Wait for it. The way the Father loves the Son. And I think everybody's jaw should just be being picked up from the ground. Because you think, can God love people like us? With the same love that he loves his son. It, it is mind-blowing, isn't it? And Jesus says, this, this, is, this is the end result of my prayer, that the world will know this. I don't think he means to say that everybody in the world will be totally convinced of all of this and there will be no unbelievers. I think he's saying that this would be the, the, the way that witness operates. And in fact, some people in the world will not only receive this witness or but believe this witness but this is what he's saying okay this is so that was the end of the second statement what about anything else about the world so i'm looking now towards the end of verse 21 what's the result on the world the first time around jesus says it Um, well, I was thinking, thank you for that, and that's, that's, a, that's a helpful thought. I, I was thinking more specifically of end of verse 21. The world can believe that God sent his son. 
Yes, okay. So notice that in this occasion, it says believe. And on this occasion, it says that you have sent me. So again, it's that the Father has sent the Son. So let's stop on that for a moment. Because I think the, these words are actually quite compressed. So one thing I noticed was that in one case the answer is to believe, in the second case the answer is to know. So it makes me think that, it, as the way Jesus thinks, believing and knowing aren't too different, really. They're sort of almost interchangeable. Uh, so that, I found that a helpful thought about what faith is. Faith isn't, um, isn't vastly different from knowing. It is to perceive in such a way as, as to know and depend upon something. Okay, that's one thought I had. Then I thought this one, the Father sent the Son. And you might think, well, that's a little bit of a, a low target, isn't it, that people think the Father sent the Son. And then you stop to think about it. And you say, what is that saying? Because I think it's saying something about the person of Jesus. Who is he? He's the one sent by the Father, or actually sent from the Father. And you think, well, is that, I mean, was John the Baptist sent, sent, sent by the Father? You no, know, think of your favorite preacher. Is he somebody sent by the Father? And you say, yes, in, in a sense. But this is different, isn't it? This is very specific that this Jesus. I think we could even say was sent from the Father. Who is he? Who is he? He's the one who has always been with the Father. And the Father has sent him. He was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Word that was made flesh. He's the one who was sent from God. And he says, so I think this is a statement about Jesus as person. That's who he is, not just any old human being, but sent from God. And I think it's also a statement about his work. Because when you send somebody, you usually send them with a purpose, don't you? You send them to buy a bottle of milk. Why are you here? I don't know, I've completely forgotten. You were sent to get a bottle of milk. That was your purpose, that was your mission, go and get the milk. And Jesus says, I want people to know that the Father sent me on a mission with a purpose. And why was he sent? Well, he sent to save us, wasn't he? To come into this world to do all that was necessary for our salvation. And we would say, I mean, that includes a number of things, large number of things, but in, in particular, to die on the cross for us. So I think Jesus has compressed that into those, those sentences so that people would know that the Father sent the Son and that the people would know that the Father loves Christians as he loves his own Son. Well, that's what Jesus... That was the outcome of the prayer. So let's, let's go back. So that was the end result of the prayer. Could we say... What Jesus does, I want to draw an arrow that goes this way now, from the Son to this group of people. 
so I, I, I'll say again, it happens in verse, verse 21, and then it's repeated in verse 22, 23, although slightly differently. Anybody hazard a guess? What does Jesus do for the disciples between verses 20 and 21? Okay, um, okay, let's, let's, let's hold on to that. Because you, uh, you, you've quoted us verse 22. I'm going to come to that in a moment. What, what, do they do? what does Jesus do for them in verses 20 and 21? There's just one thing which is actually fairly obvious when you pray. He prays for them. So the first thing that we, we get here is Jesus prays for them. And if I might say, I think that's an encouraging thought, isn't it? Jesus prays for us. I pray for them. I think that's really encouraging. And then the second time round, it's, uh, it's different. I think we could say that they're related. So in verse 22, Jesus says, what, what has Jesus done for these people? And Julia gave us the answer. I have given them glory. So I'll put that in. Do you agree? Yes. I ha- verse 22, I have given them glory. And I'm trying to get my head around this. Uh, while I'm trying to get my head around it, and you're trying to get your head around it, I could ask, what glory is it that he's given? Please look into the text and tell me. What glory has Jesus given to us. Uh, no, 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 no. What glory? Thank you. The glory that the Father gave the Son. So what we will see, and I don't want to get it overcomplicated, it's, it's, a, it's a deep passage, but the Father gave the Son glory. And Jesus passes on this glory to his people. And you get a number of these comparisons between Father and the Son and Son and what he does for his people. So let's just see it again. Uh, the glory bit, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Which is pretty amazing, isn't it? I think with all of these things, we have to say that there's there's a comparison without, uh, without ta- taking that comparison to its ultimate conclusion. So we are not made into God, but we, are, we receive something that is almost like that. Almost like that. We are given the glory that the Father gave the Son. Right, let's... Let's, um, let's go to now, there's a, a, a that, actually there's a number of that's, uh, let, let's take the that in verse 21, so what is the prayer in verse 21, I pray that. Okay, this gets, it gets very mind blowing doesn't it? So he prays 
that all of them may be one. So the all of them is the disciples, no, sorry, the believers, and I think he means the disciples as well. So that the disciples and the believers may all be one. So that's why I said there's a sort of commonality between disciples, sorry, yeah, between us and, and, the, and, and the apostles and disciples. We, we're, we're brought into the same blessings that they had. But this language of one is, is very interesting. Uh, it's very interesting. So let me stop and go back to my notes for another point. Because this passage is often used by the ecumenical movement. And ecumenism, uh, I think I'm correct in saying ecos means, is it world or is it house? I better better not start that sentence if I don't know how to finish it. Okay, ecumenism is the idea of having one worldwide church, that we all belong together in one worldwide church. And there used to be a thing called the ecumenical movement, which said we're all, all Christians are the same, all churches are the same, and we've all split up, and we all just need to get back together again. And you find in, in, in the sort of 1960s and 70s, it was, it was a big thing. Uh, nowadays, it tends to be watered down or diluted down to ch- the churches together. You find churches together would be a sort of ecumenical thing. So all the churches join in with this, Roman Catholics, um, Methodists, um, Anglicans, because we're all Christians together. And they would use these texts to say, one, they're all one. It's important that they all be one. But what I want to say is, let's just be very careful on the use of oneness language because Jesus uses it in a very unusual way which we'll see in a moment I'd say another thing about this oneness is that the oneness comes from the definition of these people which was that they believe in the apostolic word so ecumenicity tends to be put in let's not bother with doctrines Let's not bother with theology. Theology just confuses people and alienates people. And it's all just to do with the mind and words. Let's not bother with that. We'd just be one. And, that, and that's alive and well in Brighton. But the oneness of this is a oneness that comes from believing in the apostolic word. And to my mind, if we're going to be one with other believers all in favour of that, but let's make sure that we all believe the same word. I don't think that has to be complicated. I don't think we have to just to copy out every single thing that every apostle said, because it has a main point and main points. I think we would say the apostolic word says God is Trinity, God is the creator, God is sovereign, God is holy, it says that. It says that Jesus is the son of God, Uh, that Jesus is God and man, uh, that when he died on the cross, he died 
bearing the wrath of God for our sins and that we're to receive this by faith and the, that, if we, that we must be born again and so on, these just basic fundamental ideas of the apostolic word. So I'm just, this is a little bit about, I don't think this text teaches ecumenicity. It teaches gospel unity. So that was one thing. Now let's come to the word one. Right, verse 21. All of them may be one, just as. Okay, there's a number of just as's in John's gospel, and here's a just as. What is it just as? Just as what? Just as you are in me, and I am in you. It's a very strange definition of being one, isn't it? I wish I hadn't obliterated my notes, because I, I wrote this down quite carefully. Yeah, it's something like that, but let's, let's, let's do it this way. So the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. That's his definition of being one. So I think we could say something like this, that the Father is in the Son. So when we look at the Son, we see something of the Father. And the Son is in the Father. So the Son is not like a remote satellite, the Father's over there and the Son is way over here doing some different things but the son is right in the father and he says that he wants the disciples to be one just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us So he says, may these people be in the Father and the Son. At which point I get defeated. I don't think I can spell it out much further. Apart from to say that if we're in the Father and the Son, it's not like the Father and the Son over there and we're remote satellites just um, miles away spinning round in our own empty space but that our lives are in the father and the son I've got a text for that and the father and the son are in us in the sense that if people look at us there is an indwelling life which might be seen the life of God in his people I think that's what Jesus is is getting at we would pray for numbers more people please Lord but Jesus says I want them to be one in this sense that I am in them they are in us that's it's, it, it's not an organisational thing it's ah, something else please look at Colossians chapter three. 
Colossians chapter 3 page number 1184 Colossians chapter 3 this is Paul this time putting it in a Paul sort of way since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, I want to pick out that one thought there. Where, where are we? Where is our life? And you might say, my life is here in Brighton, or my life is in Seaford, or my life is in London, or wherever it is you feel your life is based. But he says, if you're a Christian, verse, chapter 3, verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's a remarkable statement isn't it where are you believer well I jolly well feel as though I'm sitting on a chair here in Preston Circus and God says actually I want you to believe me in this that I've changed you in such a way that your life is hidden with Christ in God and you say I can't see that to be honest I can see my sin I can see how how confused I get and notice the word hidden it's not a very obvious thing. In some ways it's a hidden thing. And in some ways it's a thing hidden from us. It's something that we see by faith at this moment. And I think that's, you no. Know, have we got the faith to believe that? That's what it says. That's, it's, um, it's to do really at the level of being who are we? Where are we? Where do we belong? Where is our life? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's a bit wow, isn't it? Wow. And then he says, but it won't always be hidden. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, you also will appear with him in glory. There's a sense in which this hiddenness, which is the situation that we are now in, will be transformed into a revelation. It will appear. What we truly are, and always have been in Christ, but we couldn't see it. I think C.S. Lewis says something like this. Here I'm risking another quote. Can I finish it? He says, we're all in the process of becoming either something hid so hideous and awful that we would scream in alarm if we knew, could see what that person really was becoming, or we are becoming, through Christ, something so glorious and so radiant and so brilliant that you would almost worship the person sitting next to you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
you also will appear with him in glory. Let's go back to uh, John chapter 17. And I will stop in a minute. I think that he says the same sort of thing in the middle of verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me. And then this phrase, may they be brought to complete unity or may they be finished into one. And I'm going to say, I don't think I understand. I don't think I'm able to tell you any more than I've already said, except that this oneness uses the language of unity and using the language of sort of interpenetration, the Father in me, I in the Father, them in me, I in them. It's using this language, I think, to express uh, the uh, oneness in the benefits and the, oh, the blessings of belonging to God. It's not just a, an organizational unity, but it's a, a oneness which draws from what it is to be in God, what it is to be in the Father and the Son. And his, this, this phrase, which I confess I don't fully understand, I'll just point us in the direction. May, they be, may this be a process which comes to a conclusion when they completely have all that is in the Father and the Son. May they be brought finished into one. Okay, I'm just going to pause and say there, is, there are some future references. There are some present references. This verse, verse 23, to my mind, appears to talk about a process which has a present aspect and a future aspect. So it can't be all in the future because this says something to the world. Am I right? Verse 23, may they da-da-da-da-da, so that the world may know that you sent me. So there must be something that the world sees. But it does seem to be a process that goes on. May they be completed in this. That's all I can say because I'm baffled to say any more. But let me, let, let's finish by looking at verse 24. This is a future aspect of this prayer. Father, I, I want those you have given me. Can I just stop and say there is such a repetition of giving. This is all to do with the Father's giving and the Son's giving. In fact, this is, if you like, founding on a, a giving economy, and an economy of generosity. And one of the things that are given is people. Um, in, 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 Paul would say election. He would say you've chosen these people. Uh, John says given. And it isn't just the apostles who were given. It's the disciples as well, isn't it? They are given to the Father, uh, given to Jesus by the Father. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So I'll just say a couple of words about this. What is Jesus praying for? He's saying, I want these people 
Father, I want these people to get there. And I want them to get there and be absolutely amazed when they arrive. I want them to see my glory. I think I'm overusing this word, but it is an amazing thing, isn't it? That Jesus should say, I want you. I've got something in store for you. And, and this is the best thing that I could ever, anybody could ever wish for you. I want you to see who I really am. I want you to see, says Jesus, my glory. I do. I want you to be. I mean, have you ever invited somebody round to your house to see, I don't know, your fishing collection or your, um, I don't know, ceramics or something? I'd like you to come and see my my garden, I don't know. Like you to, I really would like you to come and see it because I want to share that with you. And Jesus says, I want these people to come to my house, to my father's house. There's many rooms in my father's house. I want them to get there and I want them to see my glory. That's a prayer that Jesus prayed. And it deserves unpacking, doesn't it? I'm not going to unpack it this evening. But when Jesus prays this sort of prayer, he isn't saying, oh, it would be really nice, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. It would be nice for me to learn to play the banjo that my family so kindly gave me. Whether it will ever happen is another question. I'd like it, but... But this isn't a a sort of, it'd be nice, but it's never going to happen prayer, is it? It's... It's a very specific declaration by Jesus. This is what I want. I will, Father, I will that those you have given me be with me where I am to see my glory. The glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I mean, what, what can you say in comment to that? That's what Jesus prayed for us. If you want to put it into a theological category, it's the category of, of perseverance. It says that Jesus says, these people will make it. They will last. They will persevere. And it isn't because they're very tenacious sort of people. You know, I've cho- chosen people who are very stickable. He says, I've been given them, and Father, I want them to be there. I don't want a single one of those people to be lost. That's what I want. And it's a prayer. It isn't a nice, if it happens, sort of, it's, it's, that's what's going to be. To see my glory. Verse 25 says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And I'll only make this comment that we had uh, past tenses, we've got a future reference, and this is the one that is a sort of ongoing one. It says in verse 26, I've made you known to them. And as day passes day, and event passes event, I will continue to make 
your name known to those people. I think that's a very encouraging statement by Jesus. What's Jesus doing at this present time? Well, the present reference is this. I'm continuing to make, uh, literally, your name known to these people. That's right, isn't it? Verse 26, I made you known, past tense, and will continue to make you known. I have made it known. What is it? It's, the blah, 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 blah. it's actually your name. Jesus is telling us, what is he in the business of doing? Continuing to make known to us the name of God. I'm so grateful for that. Because if it was up to me to keep clear in my own mind the name of God, I think I'd very quickly forget. Wouldn't you? I don't know, maybe it's just me. Very quickly be distracted. Very quickly be looking at emails instead. No, hang on, you're supposed to be thinking about... But Jesus says, I'm making it my business to make known to these... And to continue to make known to them the name of God. What is the name of God? The name of God is who God is. What his character is. What his purposes are. What he's up to. What he likes. What he hates. Who he is. I'm making him known to these people. 